Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And what you are about to hear is one of the most honest and frank discussions I have had during my time writing and podcasting about our little part of the world. Signing for Accrington after being released from his boyhood club at 16, this man made over 60 appearances for our first team with the likes of Paul Mullen, Andy Proctor and many more Stanley legends. He left in 2011, going on to play for many different non-league outfits in the North West and turning his attention to a career in education and starting a family. I'd like to thank him for sharing his thoughts and opinions for us all to listen to and throwing in some incredible stories from a time period at the club that was, I think it's safe to say, a little bit turbulent. I really hope you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed recording it. This is Raw Milk Meets, Chris Turner. Okay then, and welcome to another Raw Milk Meets from me, Josh Cook. I am delighted this time to be joined by a blast from the past for many Stanley fans, Mr Chris Turner. Chris, how are you doing, mate? 
I'm very well, thank you. Um, it's been a long time coming, but it's uh, it's finally, uh, yeah, it's good to catch up with you, Josh, it really is. Yeah, absolutely. For a bit of context for people, I think this is like the sixth or seventh time we've tried to do this and planned it, and it's the only time we've been able to sit down and do it eventually, isn't it? So, um, and we, uh, we, we both lead very busy lifestyles, but um, no, it's uh, I've been listening to your recordings and it's uh, a fantastic podcast. I think you get a really good outreach and uh, yeah, it's good to be a part of. So thanks for having me on. No problem at all, mate. Anytime. Yeah. Um, well, how's life treating you in 2022 then? Um, I think that we both work in schools, don't we? So it's nice that we can sit down at half term. It makes it a little bit easier for us. Yeah, luckily I've got two weeks off um, this time. So the head teachers looked after our staff by giving us two weeks off. So I'm still in my first week and then I've got the whole of next week off. Um, but as you'll know, through working in a school, the stresses and strains are completely uh, different to that of probably any other professional profession um so yeah it's been a, a very welcomed break it really has that's nice two weeks off do you do you get a week less somewhere else then or i think our head teacher has sorted it uh, where you know obviously you've got a certain amount of hours to squeeze in for inset sessions um, and yeah, yeah. i think we've done those sort of like cpd sessions on like wednesday and thursday after school so we've extended the school day you know, to then create this extra week for ourselves in half term um but me and my wife have got a couple of things booked so we're uh yeah we're, we're gonna we're gonna make the most of it we've got Dublin next week um just for just for one night we got really cheap flights so we're gonna have a little venture out to Dublin um and then we did Liverpool weekend just gone which has also been yeah it's been really nice it's been good to switch off from work no, that's right. I mean, don't take it for granted, do you? Because it's already Wednesday now and I'm I'm just thinking about Monday straight away. Oh, it done half creep up on you, does it? That feeling of sort of your holidays just disappearing. But um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's good to be off, it is. Yeah, we've got an inset on Monday as well, so not too bad. The kids aren't back till Tuesday, so that'll give me a bit of leeway and a bit of time to do certain things, etc., won't it? Yeah, and you always get a nice lunch provided for you on inset, don't you? That's probably the best, <laughs> yeah, the best you about the inset days. <laughs> I know anybody who's never worked in a school before is just listening to this and thinking, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's a good spread on a, on an inset day. Yeah, it's good food. Yeah, it is. Uh, sound then, mate. Yeah, so just general little chat. Um, obviously, just thinking about your time more with, that, with, with Stanley and, and how that went. I know it seems you know, an age ago now, doesn't it? But it really wasn't that long ago. Um, but yeah, let's let's just kick off then. I've got a few questions lined up. Um, something that I always like to ask to sort of, not just sort of footballers, but also, um, oh, if you can hear my mate's dog in the background. Just <laughs> I don't remember. Um, yeah, not just footballers, but sort of uh, just football fans in general, really. I mean, East Lancashire, we know it's such a hotbed for football, um, as is the North West, really, um, and the North of England in general. Where did your love of football sort of stem from growing up? Was there a particular time or a particular player or a club, for example? Where did it come from? Yeah, um, I think I was quite fortunate uh, in many ways. I was taken on Burnley games from a very young age, so probably five six seven i got my first experience of going on the turf um and i think that the love of football came from that really um do you remember the sticker books that used to come out every single year like i remember the premier league like 95 96 97 collecting the stickers off my granny um and just filling those premier league like books up that were a, a big buzz exchanging stickers in school and just getting that feel for football really that was something that that got me hooked like i say from a very young age um, I think foot, I think football in school, I think that was a big part of it as well. Um, I went to 
uh, Reedley Primary School in Briarfield. Um, and we were only allowed to play football with tennis balls um, at the time. So I suppose that sort of got my, my eye into the game a little bit more there where we were playing football and just sort of found out after a couple of years of, of knocking about in the yard and, and watching football at home, watching matches of the day, my mum and dad, that, that I was I was relatively good. Um, and it sort of kicked on from there, really. Very nice. Yes, it's sort of similar stories for everyone, isn't it, really? It all just stems from whether if you've been taken on a club as a young lad, it's that love of it. I don't know whether it's just the buzz of going on the ground, etc. Somewhere like Turf Moor as well is... Is, is sort of perfect for that, isn't it? I, I, it's an old-fashioned ground in amongst the yeah. houses, um, and I, I think it's a, I think the social element as well. I think a lot of the friends that I've got to this day, they've all stemmed from football and meeting them through football, whether that's been playing, watching, uh, taking part in whatever way, shape, or form that's been. So I think it's that networking of friends and meeting people through football from a young age that then sort of puts you in good stead for later life. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you just touched on it there and sort of junior football and coming through and sort of recognising that you could play a bit. Who did you play for in your junior teams? Because obviously they're very well known, aren't they? In Accrington, we've got teams like I play for Oswald Thistle Rangers, which I don't think are going anymore. But you've got teams like Great Harwood, Richton, yeah. Uncourt United. Who were the sides that you played for? So um, I grew up in Burnley, um, Burnley and Briarfield. Um, so my first team was Briarfield Celtic. Um, so I played with them for a couple of years. And then um, I played for St. Joseph's. Um, their Accrington base, we used to train at Wilson's, play a home game at Wilson's playing fields. Um, did a lot of tournaments with St. Joseph's. We travelled all over the country, really. We were a really successful team for our age group at the time. Um, so they were my main two teams that I played for as a youngster. Um, I did play for, I played for, do you know what, I look back now and I think I played for that many teams and I, my mum and dad could potentially get done if like they, they were doing that this day and age with the amount of ferrying around they were doing at a young age. I wasn't obviously properly developed and I think I was playing a game in, on a Saturday morning, say 10 o'clock kickoff, then I was being taken over to a game on a Saturday afternoon for a one o'clock kickoff, then I'd play again on a Sunday morning. And I look at that and I think it were it was some shift that not only did I put in, but my mum and dad in terms of filling the car up with petrol and just taking me there and everywhere. Um, but yeah, they, they were the main two teams. They were Briarfield and St. Joseph's. Um, and I played for Barra Ford as well, where obviously Jay Rodriguez made a, made a name for himself. So he was in the year above me. Um, but yeah, they, I'd say they were the main three teams that I played for. Uh, grassroots, really. Very nice. St. Joseph's were sort of like our um, our rivals in my age group because we were the, a lot of the lads that I went to school with. Our, our team was our school team was there was a lot of St. Joseph's players and there was a lot of Aussie Rangers players. So there'll be a few sort of laughs with people hearing that. Um, so so you just mentioned there that you were, you were a young sort of passionate Burnley fan from the off. Um, did you go into the youth team at Burnley then? How did that come about? Were you were you sort of spotted playing when, when you were playing one of these four games a weekend? Yeah, uh, there was actually an article in the paper. Uh, it was called A Hat-Trick with the Difference. So I'd, I'd scored at, in the, on the Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. And then, like I say, I think I travelled over to somewhere like Clitheroe Wolves on the Saturday afternoon. And I scored in that game. And then on the Sunday, I played in a year, uh, a year group above me um, for St. George's. And I scored in that game. So I'd scored three goals in three games and it made the papers. Um, and I would, I, I'd probably seven or eight years old. 
Um, and then there was a lot of interest on the back of that article. Um, and then that's about the same time that Burnley then contacted my dad uh, just to say, do you want to bring him down and, and we'll have a look at him? Um, and yeah, the rest was history, really. I then signed for Burnley um, at eight years old um, and then stayed there until I was 16. So I went through the, the, the tough years, I think, from eight to 16. Obviously, you've got your schoolwork, you've got you're learning a lot about your, how, how you work, your body, yourself, um, trying to tie friendship groups down as well as training and having that commitment at, at such a young age. Um, and then I got released at 16, uh, which was really, really tough, um, tough on my family as well as me. Um, it, it was, I felt embarrassed and I know I look back now and think I shouldn't have felt embarrassed, but I did. There was a certain degree of keeping up expectations with my friendship groups. Um, I was always Chris Turner, who, who was going to play for Burnley, who was going to make it as a footballer. And um, that one time at Gawthorpe where I got taken in and, and released, it was uh, it was hard hitting at that age, especially when you don't really know how to deal with your own emotions. Um, and it was either at that point I either sink or swim. I, I, I sort of crack on and dust myself down and, and go again, which luckily I did. Uh, but it could have quite easily gone the other way. No, absolutely. And I think we're, we're hearing more and more about that, aren't we, in terms of sort of mental health and the amount of players that are going through that at that young age now. Um, what was it like? Was there, was there, if you look back at that now, because I think that there'll be young players that maybe even listening to this, and obviously you deal with a lot of students in school, as do I. Um, it is a part of growing up, isn't it? Those sort of major setbacks in your life. When you look back at that now, was there a, was it the majority of players released in your year group? Is, is there anybody that's gone on to sort of do fantastic things in the game or? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I look back and I think there was a lot of local lads when I was there. Um, it was at the stage in probably what year would it have been? 90, oh no, it would have been 2004, possibly 2004, 2005. It was at the age, it was at the, the sort of the time in football where it was just starting in terms of the youth academies in the centre of excellence where they were flying people in from abroad and they were putting families up in houses and giving them accommodation purely to get their son or, or daughter into, into a football team. So I started off playing for Burnley when I was eight year old and I'd say 90% of my team was made up of lads from the local area from Burnley, uh, Briarfield, Nelson, Cone. Um, and then by the time I'd left, um, and, and I got released. I think there was only three of us. So there was four or five Irish lads. There were a couple of lads from Manchester, Liverpool. So th there was a lot more money coming into the game. Um, and I think the financial side of things, we, we definitely saw a huge impact in that. Um, I think that tracked me from a very young age thinking, well, I, I was half decent um, and I was a local lad. And I think they tried to get me as far as they possibly could before um before it, I just didn't fit the bill for what Burnley wanted at the time they wanted these these big lads these big physical six foot five lads and I think potentially they wanted to turn them into footballers uh, whereas I was always technically very good um the assessments that I used to have every year down at Gawthorpe um they always came back I was in the top two or three out of a squad of 18 so on that side of the game being an actual footballer um I was I was I was good enough, but it was just I wasn't ready to then take the the step to becoming a youth team footballer um, in the eyes of Burnley Football Club. But in many ways, it did me a lot of favours, favours like you say there, in terms of working on my own resilience. Um, 
I had to just crack on and I just had to go into school the next day and work hard and get my head around it all. Uh, along, obviously, alongside support from my family. Um, but I think there's too much focus in many ways now in terms of keeping people happy. Um, and I don't think that people necessarily deal with things the way that they dealt with back when I was growing up. You just mentioned there the the importance of sort of the family unit around that. Do you think that that's key to sort of, like you say, whether somebody sinks or swims in one of those situations? Because at the end of the day, you are still a young lad, aren't you? 16, going back into school. I think that it's really, really important that you've got those people around you that can support you in a positive way as well. Definitely, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a I'm an August baby, so I was I was only 15, so I was by far the youngest in my year anyway. Um, and yeah, w- without my family, I would have been really, really, really struggling. I can remember the the the, the drive home from Gawthorpe when I just been released, and my dad had no no idea what to say to me. My dad's very sort of like uh, old school, uh, doesn't really show his emotions, um, and he was sort of like looking at me like I was a bit of an alien. Really, I was sat in the car and I was obviously upset. And he didn't really know what to do, but obviously I know how much my dad loves me, and it was sort of a bit of a tough love in a way. But but again, I needed that. I needed just to sort of I needed that normality. I didn't need any time off school, or I didn't need any extra support in many ways. I just needed my family to be around me, and I needed to sort of just crack on and get on with it. And and I did, and it, it paid off dividend really. Absolutely, yeah. And then obviously, well. Stanley come calling, don't they? You eventually join Stanley, which, of course, is is a very different club to the one that we see in front of us today, and Stanley fans will be familiar with. How did that move come about to Stanley? What were your first impressions of sort of the football club? And obviously, John Coleman was there at the time, and and Eric Worley as well. What what was the club like at that time? And and yeah, what was you? How did you first get involved with that, really? So it was um, it was a trial that I got invited to, um, and Phil Hackney um, had invited me along. The youth team manager at the time at Accrington, um, and it was a mishmash of players really from different clubs who'd been released. So players who were at a very similar stage in their life really to me, um, and it was make or break. It was either you go down this path and continue education, and then college, university, or whatever that may be, or it was continue on the road to being a footballer. Um, and when I got released by Burnley, I went and had six months playing with St. Joseph's with my friends. Um, there was John McGregor and Andy Walsh. They were involved in St. Joseph's. And then I'm just trying to think of players at the time. So there was like Sam Whitaker and Tom Walsh. And there were some really, really good lads at that time. And that's exactly what I needed then to get the best out of me if I was then going to continue to sort of try and get a foothold in, uh, in, in football going forward. Um, so yeah, I went to the trial and I hit the ground running. I did really, really well. Um, and then after a couple of weeks, um, Phil Hackney just contacted me and he just said, uh, we want to sign you on a, on a youth team contract. Um, and at that time, obviously they've just gone into the football league. So the timing of me signing couldn't have been any better because we felt the, obviously the positives of the, in terms of the money from going from the conference to the football league, it felt like it was a step up really. Um, I'd seen, I knew a couple of the lads who was in the youth team the previous year um, when the club weren't affiliated with the football league and it was worlds apart. So little things like they had to pay for their own training kits and I think they had to pay subs for training, etc. Whereas you went into the football league um, 
and it was a different world completely. It was really good. The quality of players that they got in at the time in the youth team was good. Um, but I think the main focus was on probably four or five of us at the time who Coleman and Jimmy Bell had already been, they'd been watching the youth team train. So there was myself, Bobby Grant, Peter Murphy, um, Jay Bell, and um, there was a lad called Liam O'Connor as well, who was sort of around the first team. So I'd say he really focused on us five. Um, and the youth team at that point also trained with the first team. So straight from the off, you had the opportunity to sort of like make a name for yourself. Um, and, and I did at 15, 16 year old. Um, there was Coleman and Jimmy Bell sort of asking questions about me and they were pulling me up because we had two pitches. We used to train at Rolls-Royce um, at Barnoldswick and the youth team would train on one pitch and the first team would train on the other. And I'd say nine times out of 10, Coleman had come over and take me, Bobby Grant and Peter Murphy over with the first team. So that was that was right from the off really that I knew I had half a chance. Yeah, that's amazing. So was it sort of so you just mentioned there, was it a two year sort of youth contract straight away with the thought of going pro after that? Or was it were you just involved in the first team and you, you even though you run that youth contract, you were sort of in the first team for straight away? Yeah, so it was a two-year contract in the youth team. Um, it was called the YTS programme. So you you did one and a half days a week um, at college alongside training. And then at the end of it, you'd get a qualification. So if you didn't make it as a professional footballer, at least you've got that parachute of thinking, right, I've got my qualifications there. I can go to college. Um, I can go on to university, etc. Um, it was equivalent to maybe two A-levels, what you'd come out with over the course of two years. Um, so yeah, I was in a youth team and, and like I say, I remember Coleman and Jimmy Bell just sort of watching us and just dragging us over um, and thinking, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm playing with the big boys now. Um, and at that time, I'm just trying to think of players that would have been around then. There was um, David Mannix, um, there was Toddy, Toddy was playing then. There was obviously Proc, David Brown, um, Mullers was there and it was just like, wow, like these are players that I'd seen on telly weeks and months before you're not even talking years like you're watching like Muller's score that goal against Exeter and um a couple of weeks before I'd seen Muller's score a goal at Watford I'm thinking now I'm playing on the same pitch as them and that's how quickly it happened that's amazing yeah God, I remember that Watford game as well Jesus um yeah I think it's around that time as well sort of I was about 13 to 16 when you when you were sort of involved with the club really and I guess that's when I I guess that's when you sort of fall in love with it as a, as a, not as a kid, but sort of as a young adult, don't you as well? You see it as a different thing, as a social thing. Definitely, yeah. I think the, obviously you've just spoken there about the Football League. It, it was so new to us and I think the club struggled in so many ways, but it, it also struggled to gain respect from other teams in the league, didn't it? In just the size of the club, the attendances and the facilities as well. I mean, what was it like for you then as a young player sort of dealing with all that as well? Because obviously you've got all these issues off the field as well. Whereas I suppose if you were at another club that were maybe a little bit more financially stable, you could just sort of concentrate particularly on the football, couldn't you, and get on with it. Was there, was it different then being at Stanley because you had all these other issues as well? or Yeah, no, I completely agree with what you're saying. Um, I think if you were sort of involved with a more established football league, club in the youth team I think there would have been major differences with everything but I look back on my experience and think it was there were certain parts of Accrington at that time in 2006 where it was like the Phoenix club um, <laughs> with, with, with Peter Kay honestly 
it was there was times when Rob Hayes, who was the chief executive at the time, um, he'd pull us all in after training and say, lads, I can't pay you this month. Um, there's things going on behind the scenes, so we'll make sure that you get paid full next month. Um, and again, I've never been money orientated at all. Um, I was fortunate I was still living with my parents. They funded my car for me. Um, but I can remember people like Procky and Mullers at the time saying, I'm not going to be able to pay my mortgage this month because uh, the, the club ca- they physically can't pay us. Um, and we'd we'd played one game. It, in fact, it was the game where uh, there was the betting scandal. Um, it was was it Chester? Bury, Bury, Bury that's it? the one. Yeah. It was Bury, last game of the season, and I'd been called up on so on the Friday. Um, we had training, so the youth team and the first team trained together. And Jimmy Bell had come over and he'd said, uh, "Chris Grancy and Murph, you're going to be part of the first team tomorrow." So I'm thinking, wow, real do. I'm, I'm going to be like part of the first team, even if I'm just having a warm up on the pitch before the game, sitting in the dugout, just getting a feel for what first team football at Accrington would be like. Um, so we played that. Well, I say we played the game. We got to the, the ground, got into the changing rooms, and then the gaffer and Jimmy had just said, right, I need to speak to you all on the pitch. And I thought, this is a bit odd. Is this sort of like normal what happens? So he pulled us all out onto the pitch and he just explained what had happened. He said that the game's currently under investigation. There'd been X amount of money spent on um, us to get beat today. Um, And I think I look back now and I think that would have been a perfect opportunity for me to have got a game, even if I'd have got 10 minutes at the end. But I think because there was that much of a focus on these irregular betting patterns, unfortunately, I didn't end up playing that game uh, because I think he was so paranoid about if he plays a lot of youth team lads here and we get beat 8-0, um, it's going to look a little bit dodgy. So I think we did end up getting beat, but it wasn't as bad as what it would have been if me, Grantie and, and Murph and J-Bell would have started. Um, so we had that as like my sort of first involvement with the first team scandal. And then I remember after the game, uh, again, Rob Hayes had said, I'm really sorry, lads, we, we can't pay you. He said, if anyone's desperate for any money, um, he said, just go and knock on Eric Wally's door at the end of the game. I'm thinking, well, not in a million years am I going to be knocking on Eric Wally's door to ask for a few quid. I'm just going to go home and deal with it. Um, but I, th- I remember Proc, he was um, at the time, I think he'd just got a house with his wife, etc. And he was saying, I'm, I'm struggling. So he ended up knocking on Eric Wally's door. Um, and Eric Wally just said, right, Andrew, give me two minutes. I'll see what I can do. So in the old clubhouse at the time, there was three fruit machines. And I'm not joking, he emptied every one of the fruit machines, got about 75 quid in pound coins and 50p's, put it in a paper bag and just give it proc and just said, I hope slash you a few weeks. And that was my experience of being a, like a young professional footballer at a club that was in the football league. But like you say there, that wouldn't have happened at any other club. That was just Accrington Stanley. And it was just, you had to sort of just like roll with it and you think I'm part of this club now. And I want to see where it takes me, but it was uh, quite it was quite a quirky time to be a footballer at Accrington. Jeez, yeah, I've never heard that story before. That is incredible, isn't it? I mean, emptying the fruit machines. I'm thinking, what what's he doing here? Is he is he having a go on fruit machines, Eric Wall? And he's got keys and he's going through them all. And he's like, right, there's thirty six pound in that one, and then there's another forty in that, and he's he's scraping pound coins out and. And then give it, I'm just like, wow. Like I had friends at the time who were on that EMA um, through college. It was like um, educational maintenance allowance. And it was something like £30 a week that you got. I remember thinking, I, I should just go and get sign on for this EMA. What all my mates were, at least they could buy a few VKs on a Saturday night. And Ignat, I've, <laughs> I've, got, I've got absolutely nothing. I'm asking to borrow a tenner off my dad. Um, but yeah, it was all it, it was all part and parcel of 
I suppose, yeah, being part of Accrington at the time. Wow, yeah. I mean, Eric Wall, I guess, I, I think that if you speak to any player around that time, everyone would have a similar story around that. Yeah. Like you say, it was like Phoenix Club, wasn't it? But Oh, honestly, it was, that man, it was, he, it was he, brilliant. He worked wonders, yeah. He worked it wonders for what he had. He was an angry man. Um, he, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd since he dished out quite a few roastings every now and again. But he was a presence around the club, and he was good value. I look back now, and I think Eric Wally was very, very good value. It was typical Accrington, weren't he? At the time, I think he'd probably be a little bit out of place now with how football's been modernised and how football's moved on. He was more like a an old school chairman that had a lot of character, and um, yeah, very good value. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, an extra bit on that as well. Were you around when they were filming that documentary? I was, yeah. I actually took part in the documentary. Um, so the one with Ricky Tomlinson. Yeah, it wasn't... No, wasn't that a... That was like a DVD, wasn't it? They did like... Did oh, they do sorry, like a, yes, yes. They I did like an ITV sort of special, you know. Yeah, they did, they did. Um, I featured on that because I, I had to sing a song coming back from um, Notts County away. <laughs> um, and the, again, they took, I think they took four of us um, along just to gain that experience. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, I ended up getting videoed and it was on it was on ITV singing. It weren't Sweet Caroline, what was it? Uh, is this the way to Amarillo? A very nervous, very nervous young Chris Turner with, yeah, the, the whole of the Accrington first team on the on the bus all chanting me on. It was a very, very, very nervy moment. But I pulled through just about. Yeah, do you remember? that's definitely available to see somewhere on YouTube as well, I bet. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like you say, it's just a world away from where we are now. I mean, I sort of, how do you look back then? Obviously, you were in and around that first team and then you, you, you were sort of involved with the first team for a couple of years as well. What were sort of your highs and lows as, as a, in a Stanley shirt? You know, did you... Did you really feel like you sort of cemented yourself? Was there anything that you, you'd do differently now looking back? Or Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the highs have got to be um, the goals I scored. Um, so I scored my first Football League goal um, against Cheltenham at home. Um in front of the in front of the ultras in the Clayton end, which was which was the dream really. That was where I wanted to score my first football league goal um, at home. Um, so that was that was a long time coming. I think I'd waited about 25, 30 games to score, which which I did, which was an unbelievable feeling. Um, and then I scored in the away fixture the same season against Cheltenham at Warren Road. Again, that was another another really really good feeling to score in away ground. Um, and then I scored in the Carling Cup against Doncaster uh, at the Keepmore, which was again, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience to to play at a stadium like the Keepmore with a crowd. It was a really really good experience. And then subsequently we then um, drew Newcastle in the in the Carling Cup, which I featured in as well. So I got the last half an hour of that game playing against people like Luar Luar, um, Nolan. Joey Barton, Tim Krull was in the net, and just to be on a, on the same pitch as those players was uh, was was definitely one of the highs of, of yeah my, my career at Accrington. Um, I think the laws. I think there was a couple. I think look back now, and I think my my mentality at the time wasn't the best. I think my attitude towards being a young footballer could have been much better. I think I had the ability, which I think anyone would probably say, but. 
I didn't used to put the hard yards in. Um, so an example of that would be every day we we train at either Wilson's or King George's or Blackburn Rugby Club, um, and we train for probably top side two hours. So we'd get there for nine o'clock, we'd read a paper, have a little bit of food, we'd be out for half nine. And then nine times out of ten, we were back in for half eleven. And then it was a case of jumping your car, go home and play on Call of Duty with the boys. Um, and I remember Pato, um, at the time, he was our fitness coach. He'd ask if any of the, like, the young lads, obviously I was one of those, wanted to stay behind and do some running or go to the gym. Um, and I remember thinking, I'm, I'm playing in the first team. Here. I don't need to go to the gym. I don't need to do any extra running. I, I took it as an insult uh, rather than... He was there purely because he wanted what was best for me. He'd been there. He'd been a professional footballer, very successful one at that, playing at Bolton. I know he'd played all over the show, Pato, and he was a very old school, hard tackling um, player. And he'd been on that journey and he was just trying to help. And I remember people like Tom Lees. I was really good friends with Tom. Um, he was my roommate. Um, and he'd stay behind every single session religiously for a good hour, hour and a half. Um and I think that shows the fine margins in football that if I'd have had the mentality that I have now in terms of looking after my body and eating right and doing the right things, I'm sure I would have played a lot longer um, in the football league. But again, and just fine margins of not being mature enough, I think, at the time when you've got the world at your feet. Yeah, I mean, hindsight's a great thing with stuff like that, isn't it, as well? I think Tom Lee's, well, what a career he's had. And I think that's really interesting that you look back at that and you think about people talk about that sort of 1%, 2%, don't they, here and there, fine margins. And, it, and it's absolutely right. It is. It, it is. It's absolutely right. And you see it time and time again um, that you've got players with bags and bags of ability that don't go on to reach the full potential because they're just not right mentally and they, and they don't have that... They don't have that sort of drive in them to to think outside the box rather than it being all about the football it's not it's so much more to how you live your life and how you look after yourself because I remember games where I'd be turning up and I'd be playing at home in front of probably two three thousand fans and I'd be drinking a Red Bull and I'd had a McDonald's breakfast on, on that morning it was I look back and I, th- I just want to punch myself in the face and say come on what you're doing like you're on this, the platform of the football league being aired worldwide on Sky Sports and I suppose at that time, there wasn't people there to look after the young players, probably as much as there is now. Um, there wasn't any support really from the Football League to any player liaison officers or safeguarding leads that can be like, right, do you know what? He's 18. He's already played 20 games in the Football League. We need to look after him. We need to look at his diet. We need to look at what makes him tick, what he needs to be doing on a weekend. Um so I'd say that's one of the laws of, of playing at Accrington was just not giving it my all at certain times. Um, and I can remember one of the, I'd say it was the all-time law for me at Accrington, other than obviously leaving the club, um, was I think I'd played about 15 games on the bounce. Um, and we were playing Northampton away on a Tuesday night. And so I'd played. I played all over, played at Burton and Port Vale and I, my mum and dad followed me everywhere to the games um, and I remember the Northampton game so we got there, um, Sixfield Stadium is it, at Northampton Yeah. Um, and before the game he, read, he, he always used to read the, read the team sheet out and then read the subs and he'd sort of say if anyone's not happy with my squad selection just have a chat with me after the, after, after the end and, and, I'll, uh, and I'll talk you through it and 
I just fully expected to be starting. Like I said, started probably 15, 20 games before that. I'd got man of the matches. I was in team of the week. I was I was doing really well. There'd been a lot of a lot of mentions about Chris Turner. There was there's a vibe about me at that time, and I thought I'm I'm going to do really really well. And for whatever, whatever reason, he'd, he'd read the team out, and I wasn't in the starting eleven. So I remember straight away thinking, this is a joke. Like I should be playing. And then he read the subs out, and I wasn't even on the subs bench. Um, so I remember sat next to Procky and Mullers and Craney, um, and they were all like looking at me as if to say, "What's gone on?" Like, and as soon as the gaffer left the changing room, Craney came over and he said, "You need to have a word with him. You need to find out why you're not playing." And sort of like wound me up in, in a way because I don't know what I, I don't at the time I really didn't know how to react to that. But having like a senior pro like Ian Craney come over to you saying you need to go and speak to me, sort of like just just wound that key up in my back. And then I just went out like a like a bull out the out the changing rooms, caught Coleman on the pitch and just had it out with him. Um, didn't approach the situation right at all. Um, I, I think there were swear words exchanged, and I just said it's it's an absolute joke. I've played X amount of games. Why am I not playing? Why am I not even on the bench? My mum and dad's travelled all the way down to Northampton, and you're not even playing me. You're not putting me on the bench. What what do you want me to do? Go and sit and have a bovril in the stand? And I was getting a little bit shirty. And he just said um, two things, Chris. He said, the first thing, he said, you're not playing because I'm the manager and I picked the team. And he said, and the second thing is, never, ever, ever question my decisions ever again. And I was sort of like, right, wow. So I sort of walked away thinking, that's not good. Um, And it took a very long time then to sort of re-establish that relationship that he had with Coleman. because I was very impressionable at that age. And like I said, I had a lot of interest from other clubs. Um, we'd played Darlington three weeks before that at home, played 90 minutes, got man of the match, and I had um, Holloway on the phone to me at the end of the game, um, asking if I wanted to come down and have a chat with him at Blackpool. Um, I'd had Lee Clark, who'd contacted the club at Huddersfield to say that they wanted to draw a deal up for me at the time. So I think all that in the background and me as an 18, 19 year old boy, I'm thinking, no, I, I should be playing. And I look back and I think I think Coleman was trying to look after me. I think he was trying to give me give me a rest. I'd played that much football. I'd played Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. And I think he was just trying to look after me. But yeah, I wasn't I couldn't see the bigger picture at that time. Wow, yeah. That's um do you think it was just that sort of calling with his experience then at that time, just sort of maybe just stewarding you away from that, giving you that rest um, and grounding you a little bit, I suppose. Just making definitely, sure that you were, yeah. definitely. I think that's all they were doing. I think he just wanted to. I think the bit, like I said, there'd been a lot of hype, a lot of clubs had got involved, uh, and I think he just wanted to just sort of. And, and in many ways, him as the manager, I think he just wanted me to know my place. I'm, I'm just a player, and as much as I was valued by the club and by the fans, he was the boss and he makes the decisions and. It was 100% the right decision for him to not play me that night, and but it takes it took years for me to to see that from being an adult really to look back and think no I was I was a baby really 18 19 playing regular football league and he just wanted to to save my legs and for me not to to burn out too soon. Was that the that you just mentioned that was on a Tuesday night? That wasn't the game where we got beat four nil, was it? I think it was. Yeah, I was there. It was the uh, it was the school holidays, I think, and I went down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, just, it's a long way as well. And I think I think it yeah. was partly I think it was partly frustration on my end that 
my mum and dad had come and it was the expectation. It was me having to contact them or them hearing it over the tannoy that I wasn't playing. And I think it was more me thinking I'd let people down. Um, but yeah, when I look back now, I think, no, it, all he wanted to do there was protect me. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, some highs for you there. I remember particularly the, the Doncaster game I didn't go to, but I think that at the time they were the highest ranked team we'd ever beaten, weren't they? Um, I think they were a championship team then. Um, yeah, they were. Billy Sharp were playing. Um, and yeah, they, they did. They had a really good setup. Um, I remember getting there and I think for whatever reason, I think our kit man had forgotten our shorts and socks for the game. I mean, talk about turning up to a game without kit for any of the lads. So I can remember our kit man having to knock on their door to say, can we borrow your away shorts and socks? So we're going out with this mishmash kit on. We had the, the black Accrington top on and then we had Doncaster shorts and socks on. I remember thinking, wow, what, what's going on here? We're a championship club and we're more or less beat already because we're borrowing their kit. That is crazy, isn't it? I, I also remember the um, the Cheltenham away game that you speak of because that was it was the last game of the season, wasn't it? And we With fancy dress. <laughs> it was fancy dress, and it there was for whatever reason the coaches were free, the fan coaches. Um, ah, right, okay. So there was four coaches that went down. So I remember there was a a weirdly sort of. Well, there was more away fans than there would usually be at a Cheltenham game anyway. But I remember that. You scored straight in front of us, didn't you? Tucked it in the bottom corner. I did, yeah. Um, yeah. And like you say, I think one thing that was really good about that game was the amount of Accrington fans behind the net. It was yeah. it was amazing. Um, I mean, you always showed out in numbers and any game that I ever played in, uh, don't matter how big the stadium were, what their fan base was like, you could always hear the Accrington fans, whether there were 550, 500 Accrington fans, it was always something that I look back on and think, yeah, phenomenal support home and away. Yeah, I think uh, Stanley fans with a great memory will be just chuckling at that game as well, because I think there was some issue with stewards being a little bit heavy-handed or something where lots of people ended up walking out of the game or something in protest. Yeah, was, yeah um, that's right. It was a bit chaotic. I and mean, I think we picked up yeah, a few names that I won't mention on here, but um, definitely people that listen to this, I think we had to stop off on the way home on our coach at the police station to pick somebody up. <laughs> um, he'll, know exactly, I'll, I'll know, he'll know exactly who he is and his mum had to go in and discuss it. And, pick and barely mouth. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, Quality. Good times then. So, so, so you'd mentioned there. Obviously, uh, Alou is, is is leaving the club. It it did come to an end. How did that come about then? Did you? Am I right in thinking that you left just after that playoff defeat? Was it? Was it that season? It was. Um, so again, it'd been quite a, a topsy turvy season, really, for me personally. For the club, obviously, they've done incredibly well getting to the playoffs. Um, but in that last year, I probably I hadn't played as many games as 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 I'd like. Probably played maybe 20, 20, 25, and most of them were sub appearances. Um, and yeah, obviously we got to the playoffs. Um, I didn't feature in the away leg against Stevenage, but then I played the last half an hour um, of the of the home leg, which was the last game of the season. Um, it was that really strange game where like Sean McConville got sent off. I think he'd. Bop someone in face and George Jacobson had sewn someone in half with a tackle and it, it was all very strange live on Sky Sports. Um, 
it, the pitch was a, an absolute mess. It had like big trenches across it. Yeah, um, that. Wow. yeah. I, I, honestly, I look back now and I think I don't even know how that game was on. Um, purely because of the pitch, it was it was dreadful. I know it was the last game of the season. Um, but no, was, that was the year where they'd famously paid a they paid someone that they didn't usually pay to come in and do the irrigation system. Right, and it, and it had just completely fucked up basically after like it was gone after like 10 games when it? it was just yeah oh god it were it were rent we're having games called off um yeah. sort of like april and may where your pitch should be like tip top it was yeah it, it wasn't good at all um but yeah it was a very uh it was a very tough season for me that one uh personally um I thought that I should have probably played more games I think this was at the point where I'd properly got my head screwed on after the first couple of years with like I said, my mentality, I, I was doing extra work and I was I was sort of getting into the swing of it and becoming a, a young professional footballer. Um, and I look around and I think I had some really good experiences in that last season. So we'd played at QPR um, at Loftus Road. That was, I think that was in my last season. Again, what an experience that was. Um, watching Jimmy Ryan and Luke Joyce playing football and just just tearing it up at that level, honestly. They were they were phenomenal players. And I think just to be around a dressing room with players like that, that sort of brought me on so much as a player. Um, I sort of changed my position a little bit. So I'd gone from being an out-and-out winger um, to more of like a centre midfielder in many ways. So I played on the left or the right. Um, but then I, I, quite often as I got a little bit older, I tucked in a little bit. Um, so it was a it was a disappointing season. Um and it was, it, like I say, it was really strange how it all came about. It was it was brutal back then. I don't think they'll do it like this anymore, but it was brutal. Um, they, they took us all in the day after the playoffs. So I think the playoffs on the Friday. I think they said, right, report to the club for Saturday morning, 10 o'clock, um, and we'll, we'll speak to you all individually. So we all got to the ground the next day, a little bit battered and bruised. Obviously, we'd been kicked out of the playoffs. We'd, we'd lost the game. Um, and it was start of the big rebuild, really, for Accrington. And... Um, Coleman and, and Jimmy Bell was in their little office at the club and we were all sat in the one of the players' lounge just having a having a brew and he'd call us in one by one um, and I think he did it alphabetically so Turner, I were right near back so I'd seen loads of players go in and come out and say yeah I've been offered a new contract or I'm just going to have a bit of time to think about it or I've been released and it were, it were awful, I remember Johnny Bateson I don't know whether you remember Johnny Bateson yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, really good mate of mine, very similar player to me, really. Um, he was one of the first taken in, obviously, B Bates, and so he got taken in um, and he came out and he was he, he was on the verge of tears. He was sort of like, I've been, I've been released, lads. And it, it, it's like, like the walk of shame in a, in a football environment where you come out of the office and you go straight into the players' lounge where there's probably 20 players all waiting for you to say yes or no. Like the X-Factor judges' houses and... Johnny Bateson came in and he shook everyone's hand and he was like close to tears. I'm thinking, God, if I get released there or if I, I don't know, I'm going to hold it together. Like, I've, it's like it, it, I've been there five years and it's a long time to be at one football club and for it just to get squashed like it did with several players. Um, it, it was quite tough, but yeah, I'd seen quite a few people get released. Then I remember thinking, it's going to be touch and go for me here. Um, I'd played, like I say, 20, 25 games as subs. Some of the lads who'd been released hadn't played any. Um, and there were some lads that had played more games than me that, that got released. Um, so he took me in and just said, do you want the good news or the bad news? Um, I said, I'll have the, 
we'll have the good news. He said the good news is is that we're gonna we're gonna offer you something. Um, he said, but the bad news is we're gonna give you we're gonna have to have to give you a, a, a pay cut. Um, and it wasn't. I wasn't on a lot of money, um, so the money that they offered me at the time, it, it, I couldn't have even lived off it. Um, I wouldn't have been able to run my car, etc. And even like my mobile phone, it was. I'm talking a couple of hundred quid a week, and, and that's for an established footballer at the time because I'd played 60, 70 football league games. Um, so that, yeah, that was the end of my road at Accrington. I shook both the hands, shook all the players' hands in the changing room. Uh, I don't think I necessarily said at the time, I'm definitely not taking it. Uh, but I'd given off vibes to say it's not what I want. Um, and then in the afternoon, I got home, Sky Sports came on and there was seven or eight of us that had been released and my name was one of them. So they'd clearly taken it that I wasn't going to be taking them up on their offer. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 looking back at that, I think I think of that 11 that sort of started that playoff game. I think we only kept maybe Luke Joyce and Dean Winard, was it? Yeah, and yeah, Sean, Sean stayed. Sean, um, yeah, I think everyone else was on the way, weren't they? To be yeah, fair. and you look, you look back and you think it were, it's sad in a way. I mean, it's, it's, you look at that, that team that we had, like you say, there. I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think the, the season after, it was a completely different dressing room. There was probably eighty percent turnover in terms of the players, and um, your characters had gone as well. Like you, talking about characters, I'm thinking about Jimmy Ryan. Like he was unbelievable what a footballer Jimmy Ryan was um, but I think he did he go to Scunthorpe the season after or did he have another he did, season yeah. no he um, did Scunthorpe yeah I've got, I've got a story about Jimmy Jimmy Ryan um, everyone just a quick note sorry to interrupt this interview but just to let you know around this time in the recording unfortunately something strange happens with my microphone setup and it sounds a little bit like i'm a robot there's a massive echo on it but i just wanted to let you know that it only lasts for around 20 seconds each time i speak um, and the answers that chris are giving around this point in the podcast are really really poignant and just stick with it because it is worth it and you can't hear it when Chris is speaking. So apologies about that and I'll let you get back to the podcast. Thank you. It was New Year's Eve um, and I think we had a game on New Year's Day. Um, and for whatever reason, obviously wouldn't have been going out on New Year's Eve if the game had, had gone ahead. But for whatever reason, the game had been called off early at dinner time on New Year's Eve. Um, so I remember in like the, the group chats that we had, there were messages pinging around saying, right, we're all going out tonight. We're all going out. So we didn't hear from the gaffer or from Jimmy Bell, um, other than that we knew that the game was cancelled. So I'm thinking, right, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get legless here. The opportunity for me to go out on a New Year's Eve. I never got to go out on New Year's Eve because I was always playing New Year's Day. Um, so I was out with all my friends having a drink. I would, yeah, like I say, I was absolutely leathered. Um, and then we got a text message all at midnight from Coleman to say, Happy New Year, see you all at 8am at Blackburn oh. Soccer Dome. So I remember thinking, oh my God, like, like, how am I going to do this? I'm eight hours away from training. I'm, I'm in posh nightclub in Burnley. I'm bladdered. I need to ring my dad. I need to get home. Um, so my dad picks me up, explained the situation. Woke up in the morning about seven o'clock, thought I'm, I'm not fit to drive. Um, so my dad had to drop me off. Um, so I dropped me off at the, the soccer dorm at Blackburn. 
Um, and it was absolutely freezing. In fact, that's why the game was off. It was freezing. It was like something like minus four. So we, we all got there. Uh, the lads were looking rough. Um, so I remember like Jimmy Ryan pulled in and Joycey pulled in, all with either the partners or the parents dropping them off because we're in no fit state to train whatsoever. Um, we're all sat in the cafe at the soccer dome and it was at the point where, do you remember Joe Hinnigan? Uh, yes, yes, the, the, uh, the, uh, was he the physio? He was the physio. So, yeah, Joe Hinnigan was there and we're all sat in the foyer trying to sober up, having a brew. Um, and Coleman just said, right, we're going to do the bleep test. And he said, I'm going to give you an offer here. You can either, we're either do the bleep test um, or if one of you goes into the reservoir behind the soccer dome and jumps in, you can all go home. So he said, I'll give you five minutes to think about it. So I'm thinking, right, well, I'm definitely not jumping in. I'd rather just do a bleep test. And if I'm going to be sick, I'm going to be sick. Um, so Jimmy Ryan's like, he, he, his eyes had gone. He was he was breathing Jaeger bombs all over everyone. And he just said, do you know what, lads? He said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll jump in. So we, we set off on a bit of a, a, a track outside of the soccer dome, round the back, I had to jump over a couple of barbed wired fences to get to this reservoir behind the soccer dome. And it was frozen solid, this reservoir. So we're all thinking, right, we've got away with it. It's frozen, the reservoir's frozen. There's no way on this this earth can we get in it. So Joe Hinnigan pulls this big twig off from this stick, starts chiselling away and makes a massive hole in the ice. It was like something off one of these David Attenborough programmes. Um, he then picked Jimmy Ryan's strips off naked. Joe Hinnigan holds, holds him under his shoulders and just fully submerges him under the ice uh, at the back of the soccer dome. Um, lifts him back out shoves him on side at reservoir puts like a foil blanket around him and says right lads you can all go home now said so jimmy's done it and i remember thinking oh my god that was like traumatic like jimmy's on side at reservoir shaking like hypothermia's like seconds away from setting in and all lads just got to go home and i thought that was like a, a test of character really for for us as a football club to show that togetherness that one of us were going to do it to get us all to, so that we could all go home um and I look back at that and I think well, that wouldn't happen this day and age. But that was just something that it, it, it was what it was at the time. And it was uh, part of sort of the, the journey, really. Jesus, Jesus what a story. story. Like, like you said, it wouldn't happen these days. days. No, but uh, it was, uh, that was that was Jimmy. That was Jimmy Ryan. He was all for the team and he was a, a great character. And it was, uh, yeah, I learned a lot from him. What a player, what a player as well. As well. Um, yeah, he was fantastic. You just you mentioned, just mentioned there, then, then leaving Stanley itself. What, what, where did you go where to, did you go to after, after that? that? Was it, was, did you have to drop even there, or was it a case of knowing that you had to drop down? Yeah, I had, uh, I had a couple of offers. Um, Morecambe, Jim Bentley at the time, he was trying to get me in. It's when they'd just signed that Luis Alessandro. Um, so they, they were going to bring me and him in that summer. Um, but again, my, my mind wasn't really on it. I remember getting sort of leaving the club and then thinking, right, I, I just want to just live the life of a... 20 year old really and just so I went on a lads holiday came back um, still had a couple of offers on the table um, but d- didn't really have that drive for it I think the, the the wind had been knocked out my sails that much from getting released at Burnley then Accrington and I thought as much as I've, I've, I've played the game and I've, I've done my best I didn't want that sort of feeling of letting people down again and I didn't want I just wanted to just focus on something different and have a new aim and a new a new challenge really um so I signed for Barrow they were in the conference at the time um again I think that was 
more just because it was on the table. Uh, it wasn't full-time. Morecambe would have been full-time, so I wasn't ready to go back into full-time football. So Barrow, they just trained a couple of mornings a week, um, and it was under Dave Bayliss. Um, and again, there's some really big clubs in in the uh, the conference at the time. So you had Lincoln, um, Grimsby, Luton, um, Forest Green. There were some really big clubs. Um, so I played probably five or six games for Barrow, and north so i didn't really fancy that anymore and then sort of just like filtered down then um and so i signed for stocksbridge um the season after jamie vardy left um so i had probably had scott hogan he played up front for us at the time i think he's it was scott Hogan were at villa he played the other night in his burn i can't think who he plays for um but he's got a good career in professional football scott hogan he's still playing um so I played at Stocksbridge for a while and then dropped down again to Paddyham. Um, and then, yeah, over the next six, seven years, I just played non-league football and just enjoyed it. Got that buzz back for, for playing football without, without any pressure, really. Do you, Do you regret, regret that decision, decision now, now with uh, Yes, um, I do. I think it's like it's hard to have regrets because I want to sort of look back on my time as a footballer and, and try and take the positives but in terms of being realistic that was the biggest make or break at the time um you either just continue on that on that road after the the sort of foundations that i'd already given myself through playing in the football league and i could have potentially signed for Morecambe, i could have signed for darlington um could have signed for huddersfield there, there was plenty of things for me but again i just wasn't right i did I, didn't want to do it. My heart wasn't in it. I remember my mum and dad saying about my last couple of performances with Accrington, they said that all I wanted to do was just come home and go out. Um, they said you weren't overly bothered about like watching the highlights on a Saturday night on the English Football League show. I think I'd been, I don't want to say sort of beaten because I'm, I'm making myself sound like a victim, but I'd had that many sort of speed bumps in the road that I think I'd just given up. I think I can, I, yeah. I think I just didn't have that drive left in me to to continue picking myself up and going again. And do you know what I mean? It was it was at that time, at twenty year old, I didn't have that fight in me. Whereas I do now. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, I, mean, yeah. I mean, again, it's again, like what it's we like said with Sarah's more isn't it? Exciting times as well. Are you still playing? Are you still playing today then? Uh, I'm not. So. I don't. I haven't officially hung my boots up. Um, I was playing for yeah, so I played for Paddyham for five or six years in the Northwest Counties, um, and then I signed for Barnoldswick. So I had two seasons at Barnoldswick, um, and then it was in 2020 when COVID first hit. Um, so I was working at school, which I've, I've been there for ten years. Um, I absolutely love my job and I love what I do. Um, but we, we we drew a team from Newcastle um, in the cup, and it was at the time when COVID was really serious, um, and it was yeah it, it was quite sort of it, it was in the thick of everything at the time, and people had to change the way they lived and the way that they went about everyday business, um, and we travelled up on a coach of probably fifty of us with some fans up to Newcastle, and then two days later when I was at work, um, the message thread the the group chat was was going off saying I've got COVID, I've got COVID, I've got COVID. And I think something like 37 of us tested positive. Um, so it was make or break really for 
my job um, because I couldn't keep having time off work through getting COVID. There was no measures really put in place at the football club because I suppose how can you, you can't really do too much when you've got a, a dressing room of 25 lads all needing to get changed and have a shower and going in the clubhouse at the end of the game for a pint. So I, I had to pull myself away from football really uh, to then focus on my career. No, I'm just not understandable. Not understandable. Um, that leads me to my next question, question then. What, is it, what is it that you... What does 2022 look like for you? What are you mentioning that you were school? What is it exactly that you're involved in? So, I'm head of year at a local high school. Um, head of year 10, and I'm in charge of transition. Um, so, I go around to all, all, to all the local primary schools, um, and I give them all the information that they need to know to give them the best possible start for high school. Um, Day to day, I manage behaviour and attendance of 220 14 year olds, which, as you can imagine, can be quite challenging. Um, but I think my experience of being a footballer um, and seeing a lot of the behaviours that I displayed at a young age, I can see that in the children growing up now. Um, and it's nice to be on that journey with them to sort of pull them back onto that path when needed. Um, and yeah, it's. Um, I think I'm very relatable to the children as well. Um, I think with my age and my experiences, um, we've still got children coming into school now in year seven and year eight saying that they'd send my FIFA card uh, online. And it's little things like that that I think, yeah, it's, it's nice to have done what I've done. I look back with no major regrets. I could have fine-tuned things or tweaked things here and there, but I think the position I've put myself in now at 32 years old with a, a good job, a good career. Um, I'm, I'm happy with everything. And I think 2022, I think it's going to be the year where I reconnect with football properly again um, in terms of being a fan. I think I lost my love for the game when I stopped playing for Accrington in probably 2011. So it's been a good, like I say, it's been 11 years really since I've felt that buzz for, for, for going on a game or... I've just put it in a box. I've just put football in a box and just thought, yeah, it's it, it was tough. Um, but yeah, I want to go on more Accrington games. I've been on a couple now. Um, so I went on um, the Cheltenham game, which was quite ironic, obviously, because I'd scored a couple of goals. But I took my little boy on there and bumped into some old faces and got a good taste and a good feel for for being a fan. No, no, it's great to hear that you're in that positive place as well. How I saw that you met Coley as well when you went back. Just how different is it? Yeah, I mean, what they've done, what the club have done, Andy, especially, obviously, the the amount of money he's put into the club and what he's done, he's he's changed it completely. Um, Coley's bar was amazing. Um, Yeah, really, really special, good atmosphere. what I did like about it was that it hasn't lost that feel as Accrington, though. I mean, you can go to most clubs now. I, th- I look at Burnley and it's gone very corporate. Um, there's no real sort of feel where you feel close to the players or the board or the chairman. Everything's like sort of very, very corporate. Um, Accrington hasn't lost that. I loved that after the game, Andy Alt came into the bar and was networking with the fans, having a beer and having a chat. And then Coleman came in um, and it was great to see him. I haven't seen him for 11 years. But we had a cuddle and we had a chat and we we had a drink and it were, it were really good. Um it was nice to catch up with Sean as well. Sean McConville, give my little lad um, his match-worn shirt, which I thought were a nice touch. Um, and yeah, I, I'm a dad now. I'm an ex-professional footballer, but I'm, I'm proud. I'm, I've got that feeling of 
pride where I can go back to Accrington and think this was part of my me growing up, part of me becoming a man. This is where there was blood, sweat and tears went into Accrington and I've got nothing but praise for the club, for the fans and for everything and everyone connected to the football club. That's gorgeous, gorgeous man. What a lovely piece of audio that is. Um, one, one final thing, thing that I'd like to say, say is, is you've probably you've just, just, just touched on it there. What do you hope the future holds for you? And, and really, really, if you finally, finally do, do have a message to Stanley fans, how would you like to be remembered? Just a massive thank you, I think. I think it's hard when you're a footballer, when you're growing up, and when you when you burst onto the scene at such a young age, I think for the fans to take me under the wing as well as what they did, um, it, I, probably only four or five games before I got a song. Um, and I remember Dan Jewell and Karen Fazakale and Danny Robson um, saying, wow, you've got a song. You've only played like five games. And just to have that, and I can remember when I used to warm up, the, the fans would be, be singing my song. And just having that connection with it, with the fans, which I don't think modern footballers have these days I think a lot of it's to do with money and it's making making sure that they've got the right clauses in the contracts and that their agents have squeezed every last penny out of the club and the directors and the board whereas for me I just wanted to I wanted to do it for the fans and that sounds really really cheesy but I wanted to for all those fans that were paying on the gate 15 20 pound of their hard-earned money I wanted to go out and and have an impact in, in for them to go home on a Saturday and think, well, do you know what? Regardless of the result, Chris Turner's put a shift in there. He's put himself about. And I suppose I just want to be remembered for a hard-working, honest lad. Um, nothing more, nothing less. I'd, I'd, I never want to be... I'll never be a legend. Obviously, I haven't played enough games. You look at people like Sean McConville and he's he's putting himself in a, a, a phenomenal position now to become a proper Accrington legend. I just want to be known as, yeah, someone who just did the best for, for the badge on my chest. Chris, Chris I, I thank you thank for your honesty and, and sort of sharing that with us. I can't tell you how much I've just enjoyed that chat. I'm just happy to hear that, you know, about you and what you've achieved. And I think that what you've, what achieved, you've achieved as a person and, and all the best, best to you going forward, forward. and I think, I think people will join me in saying that I look forward to seeing you in game very soon. Chris Turner, Turner, thank you. No, thank you so much. Like I say, I've uh, I've really appreciated your time, and thank you for thank you for fitting me in. Um, I did just want to say just before um, but we f- before we finish, I, we I had a friend um, who we played non-league football with, um, a, a, a man called Jamie Wynn, um, who unfortunately he, he took his own life several weeks ago. Um, so he played at Connors Key. We played at Nelson together. Um, and two of my close friends have been running 10 kilometres a day um, to raise awareness for mental health, um, not only in young men, um, young women as well. Um, and I just wanted to mention that um, if I can post um, a just giving link to you, if that's all right, Josh, uh, again, just to raise awareness um, and it, that it's OK not to be OK. Um, and for for, for young people to talk, I think mental health's absolutely huge at the minute. You'll see it yourself, Josh, Lee working in a school um, and just wanted to raise awareness, really, and just to shine a light on the fantastic work that Ash Briley and Andy Harrison have done um, in terms of supporting um, Jamie Wynn's family through this awful time. Thank you for tuning in to Raw Milk. 
Our theme music is Mr. Powder by Deja Vega. Our producer is Scott Bolton. Follow us at Raw Milk Zine on Twitter and Instagram and Raw Milk Fanzine on Facebook. You can also download, subscribe and like all of our podcasts at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Up the Reds! Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.